Good morning. Good morning, New City. Hey, is anybody really excited to be at church this morning? Yes, very excited. This morning during our host team meeting, we, we asked the question, what is the one word that comes to your mind when you're thinking about being together as a church family on Sunday morning? And we had some of the best words. We had peace, rest, blessing, happy, and joy. That was my word because it truly is a joy to be together as a church community. So thank you for being a part of this community. And by the way, I'm Tammy Matters, and I oversee our adult ministry here at South Park. And if you're new, we want you to know that we are so grateful that you're here. We're so honored that, first of all, we're so glad you found us, and we're so honored that you've chosen to join us this morning. And we would love the opportunity to get to know you. And the way that we do that is through our Connect card. You might see it in front of you. If you don't mind taking that card, filling it out, letting us know that you're here so that we can start connecting with you. You can give that to one of our hosts. Or even better, we would love for you to drop by Connection Point. It's in the middle of the courtyard and say hello. And we have a little gift that we'd like to give you. If you don't have time to do that, no worries. You can always fill out the Connect form online at newcity.us slash connect. And we have a gathering every month called Next Step. And at this gathering, you'll hear more about our mission, um, how our mission is expressed through what we do here at New City. You'll meet some staff members. And that's the last Sunday of the month at 11 o'clock in room W8. So we want to also invite you to Next Step. I have one quick but awesome announcement this morning. We're going to be doing the Spring Book Fair again this year with our two partner schools, Idlewild Elementary and Greenway Park Elementary. And the unique thing about this book fair is that everything is absolutely free for these students in these two under-resourced schools. And we need a lot of books. We need a lot of books. Uh, to accommodate all of these kids being able to take books home for summer reading. So if you can donate money to help with the purchase of these books, I want to invite you to go to newcity.us slash school spirit. You also can find at that uh, website opportunities to volunteer. We'll need volunteers to help us set up the book fair, to help the kids at the book fair. So lots of opportunities to serve these two amazing schools. Um, now let's pray for our offering this morning. Again, you can give at newcity.us slash give, or we have giving boxes in the lobbies. Will you join me in praying this morning? Father, first of all, we're just grateful. Grateful, joyful, happy, at peace to be together, to worship you as a body. Thank you so much, Lord. Um, and as we also celebrate Palm Sunday, we just ask that this week you help us to really Lean in to that last week of Jesus' life as he journeyed to the cross. Help us to find some special times with you this week. Pray for Pastor Chris this morning as he brings a word to us from, your, from the book of Ephesians. Um, and lastly, Lord, we just ask that you bless this offering for your glory, for your purposes, so that many, many, many will find and follow Jesus. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.
Good morning. Great to see all of you here today, this Palm Sunday, and it's awesome to be able to worship together. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here at New City, and we're in a series on the book of Ephesians. So I want to encourage you, if you have a copy of the scriptures or you have it on your phone, to be turning open to Ephesians chapter 4. That's where we're going to be today. And as you're turning there to Ephesians 4, I have a little bit of uh, family news for, our, for, for New City as you're turning there. Uh, of course, this is Holy Week, and we're excited to, to share that with you beginning today on Palm Sunday. Uh, but this Thursday night, we've got a special service. Uh, we do renewal nights all throughout the year. They're dedicated times for us to come together as a whole church family, all of our locations, uh, and worship together, pray together, uh, receive the Lord's table together. And we're going to have one of those this Thursday night, Monday Thursday. Uh, the word Monday comes from a Latin word that means commandment. Uh, Jesus on the, the Last Supper gave a new commandment, you remember, uh, to love one another. And so we celebrate Thursday night in the table. We'll have communion together, worship, a really special service that our team has put together. We're talking about uh, four different movements, if you will. Uh, the disciples turning away from Jesus. If you read the Gospels, as the Gospels progress in the story, the disciples begin to peel away. Remember, Jesus says, will you leave me too? Uh, people begin to turn away as Jesus talks about the cost of following him. And then, uh, of course, Judas at the table turns away and betrays him. Peter turns away uh, and betrays him three different times before the rooster crows. And then the father turns away at the cross. And we're going to be talking about all four of those movements Thursday night. Uh, again, a unique, special service. want you to be here. Seven o'clock in the worship center. Uh, this is for all of New City. If you're in the Charlotte area, we'd love for you to be here for Monday, Thursday. And then, of course, next Sunday is Easter. We'll celebrate the resurrection together. And for South Park, I did want to mention we're adding a service. So we'll have our normal 9.30 and 11 o'clock if you're 11 o'clock people um, or 9.30 people. But we're having uh, an 8.15 service as well. Um, to accommodate uh, guests and folks who are coming. So I do have a question. I do have an ask. Uh, if you're able, uh, would you be willing to come to the 815 service? We'll have coffee. We'll have all that good stuff to get you awake. Um, I'll be ready to go. Uh, same, same service, but we'll do it at 815 to just create some space at 930 and 11. If not, it's okay, but I do want to ask if you're able uh, to free up a seat for someone uh, who would come. That would be terrific. You know, uh, speaking of that, people over and over and over again who don't have a church home, who don't come to church, um, which you're surrounded with in your neighborhoods and your workplaces, uh, they answer consistently what would be the one thing that would get you to come to church. Do you know what it is? If they were invited by a trusted friend. If someone who they trusted and they loved or they admired, looked up to would invite them to say, hey, you know, come sit with me, come, come to church. So I want to encourage you this week to be praying about somebody at your workplace, in your neighborhood. Um, the worst they can say is no. Um, just invite them, say, hey, there's a place for you. We'd love for you to come and experience uh, worship with me on Resurrection Day, uh, 8.15, 9.30, and 11. And if you're out of town, we have a 10, uh, 10 a.m. broadcast uh, of the service. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for this day, this Palm Sunday. Thank you that when you looked over the city, the Bible says that you wept for us. You wept for people just like us. And you entered into the city knowing what was before you, the cross. Thank you for what this week represents to those of us who are Christ followers. I pray that you would make yourself known to us in, in new and fresh ways. 
And God, we pray for the services that are coming Monday, Thursday, for Easter, for our friends and neighbors. God, we want this to be a time where you are high and lifted up, Jesus, and that you'll draw people to yourself. And we pray this in your name and all God's people said together, amen, amen. The chameleon, it's a right-hand term, the chameleon is an amazing animal. It's an amazing lizard. How many of you have seen a chameleon before? Or maybe you missed it, you know, it's blending in. Chameleons, chameleons blend in, right? They blend into their surroundings. They're able with the temperature to, to adapt to their surrounding and to camouflage. Um, I don't know how that works. I went to church school, so I'm not sure exactly how all that works. And I met Jen, my wife, in biology. The one chance I had to learn how that works, we met the first week, and so I didn't pay attention to anything else the rest of the class. But somehow, chameleons are able to adapt to their surroundings. And they do that, of course, uh, not just to blend in, but to hide and to protect themselves. It's a, it's a defense mechanism. It got me thinking this week as we turn uh, to Ephesians chapter 4 in our passage and we continue our journey through this incredible letter that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. It got me thinking about spiritual chameleons. Is there such a thing as being a spiritual chameleon? Someone that blends into their surroundings, that protects themselves, that doesn't want to stick out or identify who they really are. I think if we're honest, and I hope this is a place where we can be honest, if we're honest before God, before each other, all of us can slip into being a spiritual chameleon. And I think that happens for a couple of different unique reasons. See if you're like me. I wrote down a few reasons for myself. I become a spiritual chameleon in places and environments where I want to be accepted. I wish I could stand here before you and say that I don't struggle with being accepted and it doesn't bother me if I'm not accepted, but I wouldn't be honest. And we'll get to that in a little bit in our passage. It, it would be a lie. Everybody wants to be accepted. We want to be included. And sometimes that need for acceptance can drive us to just blend in with our surroundings, either our workplace or when we're with a certain group of friends or people who are doing certain things, we just want to blend in and be a part because we want to be accepted. You know, sometimes we uh, become spiritual chameleons. The next thing right now was for approval, for approval. We want to check mark. We want to be approved. Again, it's kind of akin to being accepted, but we want to know that we're good or that we're approved, that we're a part. And then the other thing I wrote down was we want to accommodate. We want to be accommodating to other people. I don't want to, to stick out or to cause someone to be uncomfortable, so I accommodate. And in this way, maybe we become the, uh, the frog in the pot, right, where the water just starts getting hotter and hotter, right? And we don't realize that our culture, our surroundings is getting hotter and hotter, and we, we're, we're, we're boiling, but we want so badly to accommodate everyone because we want to be approved and we want to be accepted, and we become spiritual chameleons. Uh, we, let, let, let me say it a different way. We become spiritual chameleons, if you struggle with this, we become spiritual chameleons when we're living for approval, for acceptance, for love, instead of from approval, from acceptance, from a place of love. And as Christ followers, for those of you who are Jesus followers today, we have been accepted. We have been approved. There is a check mark and a seal on our lives. 
We are loved, and that's where we start from and we move into the world and we show up from a place of being approved, from a place of love and acceptance. But so many of us, even as Jesus followers, are still falling back into old habits and living for approval. Does that make sense? Let, let, me, let me say it a, a, a different way. We're not chameleons who are imitating others. We're Christians who are imitating Jesus. And that's the bottom line for our passage today as we jump into Ephesians chapter 4. We're not, we're not spiritual chameleons that are just trying to blend in and be like other people because we need their approval or their acceptance. We're Christ followers. We're Christians who are imitating Jesus, our example. Let, let me give another example just, just, just to maybe wake you up this morning. Let's say that you had a friend that had a concert tickets to a concert that you really wanted to go to. I don't know what your cup of tea is with concerts, but this is a concert that you couldn't get a ticket to, your friend has one, and you want to go. Or maybe it's a sporting event. Maybe on today, it's the Masters. You want to go to the Masters, which if you have those, we, we could probably leave right now, and we could be there. Let's say you had a friend that, that had tickets to the Masters. And you wanted so badly to be a part of it and, and to go. And so all day long, you know that your, your friend has tickets in their pocket and you're, you know, you're kind of mugging in front of them. And how you doing today? Uh, can I get the door for you? You, you, need, you need something to drink, a Diet Coke? Can I get you some potato chips? Any, anything to make you comfortable? Uh, you know, just want to be friendly to you because I'm, I'm trying to get something from them, right? Let, let's say your day started with your friend saying, hey, you're invited. Here's the ticket, you're invited. And the rest of the day, instead of mugging in front of them, hey, you get, you're looking good today. Um, I, I've already been invited. You, you've already accepted me. As, as Jesus followers, you're already invited. You've already been included. You, you don't have to mug in front of Jesus, right, all day long trying to get something from him or more importantly from other people around you. It's already been given to you. As Christians, we don't leave, live for acceptance and approval from other people. We live from acceptance and approval from God. Do you hear the difference? Hey guys, we live in a world, and I know this is true in your workplace, we live in a world that compensates you, that promotes you, that recognizes you for what you know and what you do what you know and what you do. It's very rare in our world right now, and sometimes the church can be susceptible to this. We, we just want you to know something, and we want you to do something. But what Paul is writing about here in our passage is being someone. Who are you? And how does who you are, your identity, overflow in how you live? And what would it be like, instead of being a chameleon that just blends into all of your surroundings, to knowing who you are? And showing up into the world, into relationships, in your business, in your neighborhood, in that family situation where there's a lot of tension, showing up who you are with your identity secure. You know, when Jesus was questioned about his identity, the Bible says that he knew who he was and where he was going. What a great blessing in our lives as we follow after Jesus to know who we are and to know where we're going. So many people in the world don't, guys. Listen to this passage. This is from uh, Ephesians chapter 4, our chapter. Uh, Paul writes 
uh, with the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as Gentiles do. What's a Gentile? A Gentile was someone outside of the Jewish heritage. And in this instance, what he's meaning is spiritually outside of faith. Someone who doesn't know Jesus. He says, with God's authority, I say this, don't live any longer as people who don't know Jesus. For they are hopelessly confused. You say, what? that sounds really judgmental. Well, actually, um, it might be the most loving and truthful thing that Paul could say. So many people around us, including us at times, can live our lives hopelessly confused. And, and what Paul says is, as Jesus followers, you don't, you don't have to live this way anymore. Searching for everyone. Hey, do, do you approve of me? Do you accept me? What can I do to accommodate you? Instead, Paul says, no, don't, don't live that way anymore. It's hopelessly confusing when you're living as a chameleon. You're constantly trying to change, change all of your attitudes, your perspectives, and who you are to accommodate other people to be approved and accepted. He says, instead, move into the world from a place of identity in Jesus. And what would that look like to do that? What would it look like to show up into your life coming from a place of identity instead of for identity? Let's hear what Paul has to say about it. Our passage is Ephesians 4, verses 25 through chapter 5, verse 2. And if you're able, I'd love for you to stand and we'll read the passage. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 through chapter 5, verse 2. This is the Apostle Paul talking about living from your identity in Jesus and not for identity from someone else. So stop telling lies. And we just stop right there. Stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth. For we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good, hard work, and then give generously to others in need. Verse 29, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And don't bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us, and he offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Ephesians 4, 25 through 5, verse 2. You may be seated. So you, you could hear this, right? You could hear this passage as another list of things that you need to do to be approved by God. And you would miss the entire 
um, context of the passage. Because Ephesians chapters 1 through 3 talks about what Jesus has done for us. And by grace through faith, Ephesians 2, 8, we're accepted and we carry the identity as his dearly loved children now. We're children of the Most High King because of the work of Christ on our behalf. And now, chapters 4 through 6, the second half of the book, are all all about living from that place of identity in Jesus and what he has done for us. Do you remember a few weeks ago we talked about do versus done? Doing is all about religion. I've got to do all these things to get approved by God. But really what the gospel says is that it's been done by Jesus. And now I move into the world and I show up and live my life, as Paul was saying, and, and as someone who's been approved, who's been accepted from identity. And you heard several different ways that happens. And Paul's going to list them here, but I just want to say up front, if you hear this is another list of things to do, you're living for instead of from. This isn't another list. This is Paul saying, because of who you are, this is how you live your life. This is how you show up and live from identity instead of for it from other people. And the first thing he says, back to verse 25, is no more lies. Stop lying. Let's take one step back to verse 24, if you're following along in the passage with me. In Ephesians 4, verse 24, Paul says, I want you to put on your new self, your renewed self in Christ. And what does that mean? It means we put away our old nature, who we were before we met Jesus, and we begin to clothe ourselves and put on the new nature of Christ. Paul says it another way in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He says, in Christ we are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. It's where we get the word new and new city. It's not a new church. It's, it's the new life of Christ. There's only one thing in your life, guys, that will never get old. I hate to break it to you, but the clothes you're wearing one day someone else will wear. The car you're driving, somebody else will drive. It'll get old. The house you're living in one day will be um, bulldozed and somebody else will build another house on top of it. There's only one thing in your life that will never get old, and that's the new life of Christ. So Paul says, let's put on this new nature, this new life that we have in Jesus, and throw away the old. And what would that look like? And he starts with stop lying. You know, the greatest lies that we tell are the lies that we tell to who? Ourselves. The greatest lies that you tell are the ones that you tell yourself. And Paul says, let's begin to tell the truth. He's actually quoting from Zechariah 8, an Old Testament prophet who said, God's faithful people will live in his new city and tell the truth to their neighbors. When we tell the truth, we're living authentically with who God made us to be. We're telling the truth about who we are, about who God is. And we're telling the truth to our neighbors. And when we don't tell the truth, when we lie, our neighbors and the people around us are confused. Because they thought we were Christ followers who tell the truth. And we tell our kids, we can get through anything. We have three children, um, 16, 15, and 12. Pray for us. We tell our kids... We can get through anything, right? We can get through anything if we tell the truth. We can get through anything together as a family if we tell the truth. And the reason why we say that over and over and over again is because the truth is the beginning of trust. 
And when we lie to ourselves or other people, we break trust. So as bad as it may be, and we've been through some tough stuff, and we're going to go through some tough stuff, and I'm sure your family has too, we have to start with the truth. What is the truth? Let's tell the truth to one another. Speak the truth. Put away falsehood and lies. And that's where Paul begins too. When you're living from your identity, if it's secure in Christ, I can tell the truth. Even if it's difficult, especially if it's difficult, because my identity is secure. Here's the second thing he writes. Look at verse 26. He says, um, no more anger, 26 and 27. This is a tough one, right? When you're living from your identity in Jesus and not for identity from someone else as a spiritual chameleon, right? Constantly changing and adapting. Paul says more and more you're going to be less and less angry. Now, I want to be very careful here because anger is not a sin in and of itself. That's not what Paul says. But I want you to pay very close attention in verse 26 and 27 here. He says, don't let anger control you. Don't be controlled by the emotion of anger. Now, on this Passion Week, some of you remember some stories uh, about Jesus from Passion Week. Remember, he walks into the temple, and what does he see? He sees people exchanging money. And what happened in the temple was there was a currency just for the temple. So when people would come from all different places that had different forms of currency, they would come to the temple in Jerusalem and they would have to exchange their currency for temple currency to buy sacrifices, to make sacrifices to God and offer atonement. And what temple workers would do is they would sit in the temple courts there and they would, they would raise the price of the temple currency against whatever currency was being given. So, that, so, so they would steal from people basically. They would rob them, and this infuriated Jesus. He was very angry, and he turned over the tables. Do you remember this? And he says, my, my house, my father's house is going to be a house of prayer. You've made it into a, a den of thieves. But I want you to notice something about that moment with Jesus and what Paul is saying here in verses 26 and 27. He says, don't let anger control you. And then he says that anger has an expiration date. Did you know that? Your anger, the emotion of anger, can be incredibly useful if it's controlled by the Holy Spirit and it's temporary. But when you live in anger and you operate in anger, what does verse 27 say? You give a foothold to whom? To the devil. You open up your heart and your soul when you live in anger, when you stay in anger and that emotion, you open up your heart to the work of the enemy of your life. That's how serious this is. Now, you don't need to raise your hand, but how many of you struggle with anger? If I did ask you to raise your hand and you're honest, let's get back to number one, every hand would be raised. Okay? And here's what I want you to hear biblically anger is not a sin, but how you use anger can become a sin. And anger, back to verse 26, has an expiration date, just like the food in your refrigerator. And if you let it sit in your heart too long, it begins to rot and smell. And it opens up, what the Bible says here in verse 27, Paul says in uh, chapter 4, verse 27, that it gives a foothold to the enemy. And here's what happens. When anger isn't used under the control of the Holy Spirit and in a temporary way, and by the way, what's the, what's the um, constraint that Paul puts on it? The end of the day. That's the expiration date. When it sits in your heart longer than a day, it becomes resentment. It becomes bitterness. 
it becomes unforgiveness. And these become a stronghold in our hearts. I'm going to take one step further, okay, because I want to speak the truth in love today. Some of you have allowed anger to expire in your hearts and your soul. And what's happened is it's opened up a foothold for the enemy and it's become resentment, bitterness, and unforgiveness. And what God wants to do is for you to take that and give it to him and to fill those places in your heart that you're holding on to with love and forgiveness. And the only way to do that, guys, everyone watch this, is not to just power up and try a little bit harder to do it. The only way to forgive other people and to let go of that bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness that that anger has expired and turned into is to look to Jesus. The only way is to put on more of your new self and to see how much God has forgiven you. It's not about trying harder. It's about being who you are in Jesus and looking to his example of what he's done for us. Tim Keller says, anger reveals who or what we worship. Ouch. So pay attention to your anger. Remember, anger is not a sin in and of itself. Just like money isn't a sin, but money is, can be the love of money, right? The emotion of love and attaching ourselves to money can become the root of what? All evil. And just like anger that's not under the influence of the Holy Spirit and for a temporary moment can become a foothold for resentment, unforgiveness, bitterness, many of the things that we struggle with. And here's the deal, guys, from my heart to your heart, God wants you to be free of that stuff. God wants you to be free of it. We get this one life to live. Don't go through it being bitter or resentful. Give it to God. Look to him and his example, his forgiveness to us. Open up your heart to love and grace and all the things that God wants to fill those spaces in your heart that are full right now of bitterness and resentment because anger has expired in your heart. I had a mentor that told me one time, whenever you're angry, pay attention to what you think is controlling you or what you're trying to control. Because anger is always linked to control. It didn't go right. That person didn't do what I thought they should do. I feel controlled by them and I get angry. Remember, anger under the influence of the Holy Spirit that's temporary can be useful. But when it expires, it becomes rotten and leads to every other kind of vice and foothold in your heart. Here's the third thing, verse 28. No more stealing. Paul says, a mark of someone who's living from identity instead of for approval and identity from everyone else like a chameleon is someone who's working hard with their hands. Isn't that interesting? That God created you for good and for hard work to do something meaningful and purposeful to create, to give to the world. So whether you're an architect, you're a business person, you're in education, you're in medicine, you're in the arts, you're in media, God purposed that work and it can be an act of worship when you're doing it for his glory and the good of other people. But Paul says when we steal from other people, and by the way, stealing isn't just physically, it could be digitally. All kinds of different ways that we can take what isn't ours. And when we do that, not only do we rob the world of the gift that God wants us to give through the hard work of our hands, but we rob ourselves of the gift of being generous. Because our hard work produces generosity. And it's meant to be given away to other people. When we hold on to it, it begins to spoil. Here's the fourth thing. Follow along the passage, Ephesians 4, verse 29. He says, living from identity, living as a Christian, as a Christ follower in this world, here's what it looks like. These are my words. No more nonsense talk. You know nonsense? That is nonsense. 
And you know who we tell nonsense to the most that what, what we have to listen to it all day long in nonsense? Ourselves, our own self-talk. Like look at the person beside you, your left and right, and it's like, you think it's bad for you. Oh, no, I, mean, I have to live with myself. I have to listen to myself all day long. And some of you have just such negative self-talk. It's nonsense. Look at how Paul puts it in verse 29. He says, don't use foul or abusive language. Some of you abuse yourself with your language. You shame yourself. You've been doing it for years. That inner critic has become so loud in your life. It's controlling you and it spills out to other people. Paul says, instead, let everything you say be good and helpful. That's just a good filter with your words. Is it good? Is it helpful? Then he says, so your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Could people in your work, the people who are in the cubicle beside you, people, your neighbors say, I'm encouraged when I'm around this person because of their words. And we had this thing with our kids growing up, KNT, kind, necessary, and true. And sometimes we could hit one out of three or two out of three, but it was hard to hit three out of three. So it might be kind, but is it true? And here's the one that's really hard. Is it? Is this really necessary? Do I really need to say this? What's your filter for your, for your words? Do you have a filter for your words? Or does it just come out like, you know, the I Love Lucy gumball machine? They just keep, it just keeps coming out. You can't, can't control it. It just comes. Paul says you, you control it. You put it under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And you ask yourself, is this good? Is this helpful? And here, here's the deal, guys. Words build worlds. Words build worlds. What world are you building with your words? Is it a world that the people that you love, that you work with, that you're doing life with want to live in? Are your words kind? Are they tenderhearted as the passage says? Are they, are they loving? Are they encouraging to people? You know, not every, here's a, this is shocking to all of us, not every word needs to be spoken. And, you know, Paul says we've got to take hold of our words and before they escape our mouth or they even get into our soul from our minds, we've got to take them captive and place them under the filter of is this true? Is it good? Is it necessary? Is it helpful? Fifthly, Paul says no more hurting, hurting the Holy Spirit. No more hurting the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Verse 30. Well, someone who lives from their identity is not going to want to hurt the Holy Spirit who resides in them. And if you go back to chapter 1, you listen to some of the early message in our study, Paul says the Holy Spirit is, is God's gift, God himself who indwells us. It used to be that you had to go to the temple in Jerusalem to be in the presence of God. Now God says we are his temple. And the Holy Spirit himself dwells within us. And not only that, it gets even better. He empowers us to live a life from identity. So we're meant to ask for his help with our thoughts and with our words, but it gets even better than that. The Holy Spirit, Paul says in chapter 1 in Ephesians, is a guarantee for more gifts from God to come. And you say, how is that possible? As we start Holy Week on Palm Sunday and we're reminded of the cross and what Jesus did for us on the cross where he withheld nothing in his love for us. He went all the way to the cross and gave his life. And the Bible says that for all eternity, God is going to be displaying and giving you his gifts of love. So in other words, 
you haven't seen anything yet. The cross is the beginning point of God wanting to show you his love. And he's going to spend all eternity in heaven showing you his love. And the Holy Spirit is the first deposit on all the other gifts to come. I know I have a lot of finance people in the room in this city. We know what a deposit is. We know what an initial payment is, a guarantee. Paul uses that financial language because Ephesus was a financial center. And he says, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of more things to come in your life. And to that we say yes. More things, Jesus more of you in our lives. And Paul says we can actually hurt the Holy Spirit by living the way that he's describing. Not from our identity in Jesus, but for our identity. Becoming spiritual chameleons, just blending into everyone and everything around us in the culture. That, let's go back to verse 17, is hopelessly confused. If you see someone who's lost, why would you follow them? If a car is lost... And you just start following them, where are you going to be? Lost. But guess what? We put our spiritual cars behind people that are spiritually lost and go, wherever, wherever you're going, I, I, I'm just following you. And then we're, then we're surprised when we're hopelessly confused. Paul says, no, 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 we live from identity. And the Holy Spirit identifies us as his. And the word here is, it's actually a a seal or a mark. The Holy Spirit seals us and marks us for everyone to see that we are God's. Here's the final thing, verse 31. Paul says, living from identity would look like no more malice. It's an interesting word. And the word actually describes all the other words that are mentioned in verse 31. They're very provocative words. He says, get rid of Bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander. And then Paul finishes with this, as well as all types of evil behavior. So in case I've missed anything, all means all, and that's what? All, all means. Everything else, Paul says, if I've forgotten it, don't live that way. Why? Because you're God's. And you're not living for identity, you're living from identity. And someone who belongs to God doesn't behave in this way. And when they do, and we all fall short, we quickly ask for forgiveness. And we ask God to help us, which is what we're doing today. The more you're living for approval and acceptance and accommodation, the more you're going to hear all of this as another list to do. But the way Paul writes this to us, dear friends, It's not a list of things to do for approval. It's a way of life from identity. It's who I am in Jesus. And because of that, I am putting away lies and bitterness and harsh words and hurting the Holy Spirit and and stealing if that's a part of something that I'm, I'm doing. I'm putting that stuff away. And every day I'm asking God to help me more and more and more to live from my identity instead of for it. And we'll finish here. Paul finishes the the thought this way. I love this. He reminds his listeners, each of us, he reminds us who and what we're living from, just in case we forgot. And so in verse 32, he says, instead, so circle that in your Bibles, instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. And here's the gospel. 
that God did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves, that God forgave us through the perfected work of Jesus, and we live from that place now. And so when we come back to who and what am I living from, we're living from being forgiven. God's forgiven us, and Paul reminds his audience that the only way to forgive that person in your life that hurt you so deeply, it was so bad, it was evil, and they hurt you, and they wounded you, the only way to let go of that and forgive is to know you've been forgiven, to look to the cross. Forgiven people forgive people. Loved people love people. Hurt people hurt people. And when you're living from that hurt, whether it's past, present, wherever it might be, when you're living from that hurt, you hurt other people with your words, with your actions. But when I know that I'm loved and forgiven, I live from that place because I look to Jesus. Here's the final thing. Not only God's forgiveness, but God's acceptance. Let me just read for you these final two verses, chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Remember, we're not uh, chameleons imitating others. We're Christians imitating Jesus. And Paul says it this way, imitate God. If you're looking for an example, chapter 5, verse 1, imitate God in everything you do because you are his dear children. You're his dear children. So live a life filled with love, following the example of Jesus. He loved us and he offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. If I've married any of you in here, you know that this is my wedding passage, Ephesians chapter 5. And later on in the chapter, and we'll get to this in our study, Paul talks about the role of husbands and wives and marriage and all kinds of relationships. But it starts right here in Ephesians 5 verse 1. Live your life as what? As dearly loved children of God. And every other relationship, dear friends, every other relationship in your life orients itself or it's meant to orient itself according to Paul back to your relationship with God as a dearly loved child and if we don't get this right this is why I preach this at at weddings if you don't know that you're a dearly loved child of God it's going to be very difficult to be a, a dearly loved spouse but when I know that I'm a dearly loved child of God a son or a daughter of the king every other relationship orients back to this identity in Christ And so this is how Paul ends. You could hear this as a list of behaviors. It's not. It's living from my identity, not for it. Here's the bottom line with our passage, Ephesians 4, 25 through 5, verse 2. We're not chameleons living for identity. We're not. We're not not trying to imitate others as chameleons, blending in. We're Christians. We're Jesus followers imitating him. He's our example And we start, everything starts as dearly loved children of God. That's who I am. That's my identity. And every other relationship, how you move from here into the world, starts and ends as being a dearly loved son or daughter of Jesus. To him alone be the glory today. Let's pray together. Jesus Thank you for loving us the way that you do. And especially this week, this holy week, we're grateful for your example of love, that you demonstrated your love for us through your sacrifice. And so as dearly loved children, as sons and daughters of the Most High King, 
I want to pray that we would move into the world this week from our identity and not for our identity. We join so many people that day who lie in the streets of Jerusalem and cried out to you, Hosanna. Hosanna, which means God save us. God save us from ourselves. We are hopelessly confused without you. God save us, and he did. And we celebrate that this week. In the name of Jesus, amen. Yeah.
Palm Sunday, and I hope you'll make plans to join us this week, Monday, Thursday, 7 p.m., right here in the Worship Center, and next Sunday, 8.15, 9.30, and 11 for the Resurrection Celebration. We'd love to have you and your friends join us. My opening question next Sunday, just to give a preview, is who are you trusting to save you from the grave? And I'm going to unpack that and how the claims of Jesus and who he was stand in contrast to every other world religion. So I hope that you'll be here if you're a Christ follower, be reminded and encouraged of somebody in your life who's exploring what it means to follow Jesus. Be a great Sunday to be here. Uh, Jen and I would love to meet you. If we haven't had a chance to meet you, we'll be up front here afterwards. If you're looking to get connected or have a question about New City, our team in the courtyard would love to connect with you at, at Connection Point today. If you're able, would you extend your hands for a benediction as we go today? Now may the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious unto you and lift up his countenance upon you. And may the Lord Jesus on this Palm Sunday and all throughout this holy week fill you with his peace, his presence, and his love in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Love you, New City.